Hi, I'm Eugene Laverty, BMW Motorrad Factory World Superbike Rider. Welcome to Ride and Talk, the BMW Motorrad Podcast. Here's your host, Andy Jukes. Welcome to episode 8 of the podcast. Or should we say podcast? Because this episode was actually recorded in a car, a BMW 2 Series to be precise. I borrowed the car from my mate Carsten and sat down for a quiet chat with new BMW Motorrad Factory World Superbike Rider Eugene Lafferty. It was the only quiet place we could find in Milan, but it was well worth the effort, because Eugene's an interesting guy who spoke with real depth and clarity about his career, family, fellow racers, and a love of podcasting, by the way. I hope you enjoy listening to him. I certainly did. Brilliant. Well, welcome, Eugene. Great to have you on the podcast. Um, You're a man of many talents and a fellow broadcaster, I hear. So what motivated you to start your own podcast series? It was an idea I had when I was injured this year. I was sat up reading a lot of uh, books. I read quite a bit anyway, but reading a lot of sports autobiographies at that time. And I know nowadays that people don't read just as much. So I thought, "Mm, I really enjoy reading the, the early stages of athletes' careers, you know, that kind of first two, three chapters. So I thought a podcast ought to cover that. So sit down with some of uh, my fellow athletes, friends, uh, their drivers, riders, cyclists, and uh, just reminisce about the, the early days. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, how are you actually enjoying the experience having done a few episodes already? It's been good um, with some of my close friends. It's been really fun. Some tales that I had no idea of, so it's been entertaining as well. And a couple of uh, guys have even just sat down and had a beer with, so that's been even more fun, and they've just ran on. Uh, a recent what I did with uh, my friend and rival Chaz Davies went on for like an hour and 45 so that was double what the majority of them would usually be so one thing led to another before we do it we'd almost uh, talk for two hours it was, it's incredible once you get going and talking about those days and we knew each other since we were kids so uh, it, was, it was just nice to reminisce yeah and it also makes it very hard in the edit process after doesn't it but it's an it's a really nice angle you chose pre-pro so what was the story what made you what motivated you to choose that subject well, uh, just uh, with athletes, we get interviewed quite a bit and it's always about results and how things are going this year and it's always current stuff. So I think uh, every sports person remembers fondly how you started out. It's a little bit of the rose tinted glasses when you look back, you always remember the the good times. So um, that's what the idea was and it's surprising just how many of us started out and became, became professional accidentally <laughs> and uh, nobody really took it as a hobby whenever you were a teenager and thought I can make a job out of this it just kind of happened yeah and what about your guests like Melandri or Chaz that you just mentioned have they actually enjoyed the the process of doing that being able to talk freely and and you know much more depth about about the lives that they've had well, the recent one I did with Marco Melandri, he didn't know what a podcast was, which was quite strange. So maybe in Italy, uh, podcasts aren't quite as popular. So just to explain, yeah, we're going to go and uh, talk about your your early career, how you started out, which uh, it was was quite nice when you think about it. It was his last race weekend uh, before he, he retired. So to go right back to the start and talk about how you, how you began, um, it was something that nobody had been asking him that weekend. Uh, with Chaz Davies, it was cool doing uh, with him because he'd listened to all the other episodes previously. He understood uh, the dynamic of the podcast. And one of the early ones I uh, did as well with Brendan Hartley is uh, was a F1 driver last year, and he listens to the podcast quite a bit as well. So he really just understood what people wanted to hear, and uh, it was very intriguing. And you've had your brothers on there too, talking about the good old days. So how important has your family been, you know, throughout your career? Well, we all started together as kids and we were racing for fun. Your bigger brothers are your heroes. Uh, they were riding bigger bikes than me, so I looked up to them and it was always a case of, ah, I'm never going to be that fast. And then within a few years, uh, I was. So um, I think our sports 
it always has to start from a family. When we had six kids in our family as well, and three of the boys were riding, and uh, two sisters and my twin brother, Amen, weren't, but they were always still at the races. So it's very much a, it's a family thing. But I think that's the case with with all sport. You have to start out. It's a full family commitment. Did you all fit in one van then? There wasn't many seat belts. <laughs> I think we covered that in the podcast. There was just kids bouncing around, and you maybe be sitting on a bike or or do whatever. But the uh, things weren't just as as strict back then. We had uh, an old Mitsubishi van. We used to to bounce around, but those were good weekends. Uh, we travelled quite a bit. I can't imagine how it was for my my dad running an engineering firm uh, during the week, Monday to Friday, and then a couple of days off, and you're taking your kids to go to the motocross track for a Saturday, and then also going into County Donegal on on a Sunday. Um, there were times that we remember fondly but I'm sure if you were to sit down with my parents uh, they would <laughs> tell you about all the stresses and uh, the pressures they were under Sure, they absolutely loved it even in hindsight Okay, so I was just going to ask you about Pippa is she, is she your biggest rock? She's uh, started her own podcast series as well, hasn't she? Yeah, Pippa and I have been together right from before I was a professional then when I was racing in British Championship so she knows... Um, the character was then and yeah people change uh, we've uh, grown up together so she, i would say she is my biggest rock she she knows me better than anybody both personally and uh what makes me take the racetrack too so that's why it's nice that we're able to to travel together and it's cool that i've been doing my podcast and i pip uh, has started her podcast speaking to the support network uh, exactly what she is for me and the racing as well so it's nice to hear the stories of the people that, that support the athletes because those are the guys in the background and they they get a, a to share in the glory a little bit but probably they get more of the grief than anybody when things aren't going good is there a little bit of competition between the two of you in in terms of the podcast front no no there isn't really um i think for me i just did it because i wanted to to hear the guy's stories so um, i could probably do it a lot better in terms of editing and everything else afterwards but i've heard what i wanted to hear during the interview so i just put it out there to to allow others to share in it Exactly, yeah. So congrats anyway on the BMW ride for 2020. How excited are you about this? I'm very excited, honestly. This is a bike that whenever I've watched uh, Tom Sykes putting the bike on the podium in its first year, it's a project that um, I was itching to to be a part of. So to get the opportunity after such a a tough time with injuries and my results haven't been anything to write home about. So just a a huge thank you to to BMW for for giving me this, this opportunity to to prove myself again it's been a few years since i've won races and i think my motivation is is higher than ever and now i've got even more experience and a wiser head on my shoulders and uh, i'm keen to get back to winning races yeah i mean you've you've obviously seen the development of it on track and, and on the roads over recent years as well you know the new bike especially the third generation bike so how good do you feel it can be you know given the given a little bit more time well when i think to the first race uh, in 2019 at Phillip Island I was battling with Tom Sykes and um, I was my bike was going well in a straight line but uh, the Ducati wasn't just quite as agile and there was one section of the track where we went from the hay sheds to Tuluki Heights uh, sort of right to left and Tom passed me in the outside and that's when I realised wow this bike really turns well because I thought I went through that section pretty good but Tom was able to turn the bike so uh, tight on the right that he found himself on the outside and closed the door from the outside for the next left. And from that moment, I thought, wow, they've really found something special with this bike. And 
other people didn't know it yet because we were battling for I think ninth position or something but from that moment I, I knew that um, come mid-season they were going to be fighting for the podium and sure enough they were so the potential is huge um, I'm sure they're working right now and finding a little bit of horsepower to um, to help in a straight line because that's 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 free lap time isn't it so once we get that little bit sorted I think this could be the, the full package yeah, I mean, you've shown what you can do on the right bike, absolutely. You know, in the past 2009, 2010 springs to mind, obviously 2013 as well. So when you have a few years where it hasn't gone so well, is how do you keep the motivation as strong as strong as it needs to be? Uh, the motivation is as strong as ever. Um, I think for most guys at the top of their game, it's actually the opposite problem. You have to, you know, try and care less. As strange as that sounds, because when you care too much, that's when you you end up pushing too much and you make mistakes and you're too hard on yourself. Strangely enough, it's whenever you care less uh, or or try and you know convince yourself that you care less. That's whenever things uh, happen because you just rely on your instincts then and things happen more naturally. So I have to just make sure and uh, keep cool and keep calm. And um, if you work to a routine, for me, it's all about routine. Uh, if I work to the same routine every weekend, then uh, the results tend to come. So it sounds like it was an easy decision to make as well, given what you just said earlier about watching watching uh, Tom and what he could what he did on the bike last year and and seeing it develop throughout the year. Yeah, it, it was an easy decision, and it was one that, that I was chasing uh, strongly in the mid season. I know a lot of riders were talking to different manufacturers, and you know, kind of bouncing one off the other. Whereas I just was very direct and, and said to BMW I want to be part of this project how do we make it happen I think that's why it surprised a lot of people because I was maybe the third rider on the grid that was signed up and the two other guys were already on uh, previous two year contracts so I was the, the first guy to, to to put pen to paper and I said I, I want this and uh, I guess they were pretty convinced as well how direct I was and told them I can, uh, I can uh, win races again on this bike so hey uh, I think it was the right call and We'll find out in a few weeks when I when I get to ride the bike for the first time. So, what about your teammate? You've known obviously you've grown up with all these guys. You've known Tom for years. I don't think you've ever had him as a teammate before. There, nope. This is the first time Tom and I will be teammates. I think the first time we actually raced together was like two thousand and five. So that was back in British Supersport days. Uh, do you think together you will be able to push each other on next year? Yeah, Tom uh, and I as teammates is actually going to be a nice combination because. Um, we both fought for the World Superbike Championship together as rivals in 2013 and and we've both matured a lot since then and riders don't tend to get slower, we only get faster. Well, that said, as long as you've got a brain in your head, uh, you always uh, are working to improve and I think Tom's a pretty smart rider as well. So I think we will uh, push this project forward. Tom's won a lot of races and... He's been a world champion before, and uh, he's a hell of a guy for one lap in Superpole as well. So it's going to be going to be nice working uh, together with him and, uh, and sharing a garage. Um, I think he's always been in an inline four. I've been riding riding a V four engine for the last lot of years, so be interesting to, to compare riding styles. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many of these guys, especially you know the, the Brits also in 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 World Superbike that you've grown up with, you know, for such a long time. Do you do, do you know each other inside out in terms of you know, predicting what these guys are going to do on track in front of you, behind you. Do you, do you know when someone's going to pull a fast move? 
Uh, you, you do to an extent, I would say, because Tom and I first raced together in 2005 in the British Super Sport Championship and battled together the following year, 2006. So, God, we're nearly a decade and a half on from there. So it is fair to say that we, we know each other well. And Tom's, a, I would say, a very safe and, and careful rider. So you feel pretty safe uh, racing around him. Um, there's a few other riders in the, in the grid maybe aren't the same but that tends to be the younger guys because uh, with age um, <laughs> and experience you, you get a little bit wiser and you understand the, the risks out there so it is uh, the case that in Warsaw Bike a lot of us guys grew up racing together in British Superbike so we know each other very well both on and off the track and you've raced alongside some greats you know in Superbike and MotoGP and 250s and, and you've also had some great teammates as well who would you say is the most naturally gifted racer that you've ever raced with well that's a tough question because it's it's a strange old thing where people talk about being naturally gifted and I don't honestly know what that means it's uh, something that some people think uh, that a guy looks natural on a bike and he's very smooth and that's naturally gifted but it may not be the case that maybe a rider worked on that particular riding style to smooth things out or a guy that can um, maybe go out and first lap of practice be absolutely on the on the lap record people think oh that means that he's gifted whereas other guys have to work up to it but that's not maybe the case it's something again that a rider may have worked on to, to be able to switch it on right away to be on the pace so I don't know really how you define uh, being naturally gifted uh, nowadays is a, is a tough one to call because we have to be half rider and half engineer nowadays. Things have changed. I think you, you probably look at the the 90s, mid-90s, when you could have looked at a guy on track and, uh, and kind of assessed who was the most naturally gifted because the guy that just went out and was able to, to rag a bike that he'd never ridden before probably was going to be the most naturally gifted, whereas nowadays there's, there's so much more to it. We can gain half a second in lap time uh, just by sitting down with an engineer on a Friday night and going through corner by corner so it's uh, it's a different ball game nowadays yeah and so would you say that you know there, that some riders work harder than others though you know in terms of um, you know the, the work behind the scenes the work off track and some people some riders just tend to uh, you know ride around problems maybe as opposed to analysing them definitely but that's not to say that um, a guy that, you know that, that does work hard compared to a guy that doesn't work hard that uh, if they switch their work ethics that the results would change because there is some guys that would say almost have a, um, an automatic brain that things are instinctive and they don't have to, to sit down as much and go go through every little detail whereas there's um, different kinds of brains like in every walk of life and a little rider may need to be very analytical and uh, sit down and really delve through the information to to produce the, the lap time so every person is different and in turn that means then every rider is different in how they how they work and I think team managers they have to understand that they have to look at two different riders and not think mm, one's being lazy and one's a hard worker it may just be the case that that's what works for that rider and that's I guess what makes a successful team manager being able to understand the rider well enough to effectively um, build the team around the rider yeah and it's, it is critical um, I'd say one of the best guys I worked with was Gigi Deligna who's now the uh, leader of the Ducati project in, in MotoGP and I worked with him at Aprilia and I guess I was intimidated before I went there and I was so used to team managers and people always second guessing me and questioning me and if I was uh, dropping back at the end of a race or something they would look and go hmm yeah are you not training enough or you know always looking at what you're eating and all the rest whereas Gigi Delinia trusted the rider to do his job and didn't second guess them and I think that's why he's uh, such a great leader.
Oh, that's that's really interesting information. So, so a, sl- a much easier question, I think, would be, you know, who's the most frustrating guy you've ever raced against? So, somebody who's like really, really difficult to pass and, and unpredictable, but but obviously still safe. Um, there is some riders that I think they forget that we're in a sort of thirty-five minute time trial. That it's the fastest guy from when the lights go out to the checkered flag. So, um, some guys on lap six or seven will start lunging and uh, running you wide and all the rest and allow somebody to get away so it can be frustrating whenever you're racing against somebody like that um guy nowadays like uh, michael vandenmark we race against he's he's really aggressive and he can be frustrating at times but on his day uh, he's super fast he's a very late breaker so um hard to race against but um yeah he's not shy on uh, on moving around on the track and and uh, touching rider so he, he's a tough one you've always got to keep an eye on him you spoke about injuries a little bit earlier on. How's your fitness now after the injuries this year? The last couple of rounds in um, Argentina and Qatar were the first where I wasn't really having any issues with my right wrist at the end of a race. So I uh, really was able to enjoy those races. Um, not not 100% still, but just uh, I'll be able to, to get that up to, to par over the winter. But when I say I'm not 100%, it means that I don't have a 100% range of my wrists, what I did have uh, before the accident. But uh, in terms of riding a motorbike it's uh it's more than enough, enough it's what i need yeah so it hasn't stopped you doing uh, all your other training that you love to do such as your cycling why such a love of this sport i think you're absolutely cycling mad aren't you i do uh, enjoy cycling but i'm always very wary to remind myself that i'm a motorbike racer there's a lot of um, guys particularly in moto gp that um, train like cyclists and when they crash they tend to break bones <laughs> which ain't good because um if you cycle a uh, every day your bone density gets pretty brutal and uh, you can break easily so I always make sure and uh, switch it up I do love riding the bike but as soon as I get strong riding the bike I park it for a while and go running or go to the gym and change it up because you got to remember uh, your job is to be a motorbike racer so uh, there's no point in trying to chase the pros sounds like you do a lot of thinking sort of scientifically about you know being the best you can be in, in all the different areas have, have you researched a lot or have you had some really good advice or a combination of both of that over the years i was fortunate uh, early in my career to, to work with uh, some good people uh, even when i was with uh, red bull 10 years ago i spent a lot of time at their diagnostics and training center in austria and learned a lot there from the, the doctors and uh, I'd say that was where I made the biggest step and from that I was able to control my own training. I haven't had a coach since then. Um, so once you know what works for you, um, it's just a matter of building on that. I think there's some guys that get bored and every couple of years they want to really change things. But for me, um, I think I've, I've known for the past decade what works for me as a motorbike racer. Um, and you got to continue on with that because these people like new fads and fads come and go uh, i'm not really one for fads if it worked for me 10 years ago it's still going to work for me now and do you train alone or do you tend to uh, mix it up a little bit i train more now with uh, other people than i used to i used to always train solo years ago uh, because that's the, the most uh, efficient work then if you're going out for two hours you're you're probably training for two hours so sometimes when you're with uh, a group then um, you may not get just as good quality training but i realize now for your mind during the season sometimes it's good to just to go out and chew the fat with some of your friends and and be active uh, that's the most important thing uh, most of my training is done in the winter i would say these next couple of months in in december and january i'll, I'll do all my training alone uh, that's when the the key work's done and by the time the end of January comes um, if you haven't trained by then in my opinion it's too late season starts and it's just a matter of uh, maintaining your level from then do you stay around your base in Monaco during the winter have you got you know a lot of stuff around you there that you can do or 
Yeah, the, the weather's always been good there and that's where I'm very fortunate. It means that I can still go out in December and January if I want to ride at 9am. I can because the sun's already up. So that's something that I enjoy a lot about living on the continent, having that that weather to make things uh, easier. Um, it's probably made me a lot softer than what I was when I lived in, in Ireland. You're not missing those grey skies. <laughs> yeah, but my problem is now if I go back home, I'm so soft. And, and I can't think back to the times whenever I used to go... It was a little bit stupid, but I remember even riding in the snow back then and just saying, ah, oh, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. Yeah, and and the the brothers would have egged each other on yeah, one <laughs> exactly that. But that was a bit bit uh, tougher then, so now I'm just soft to it. I'm just a fair weather rider and, uh, and cyclist nowadays. And what about the trials riding? Do you still enjoy doing that? Yeah, I haven't done as much recently, but I really do enjoy that. There's something about the technical aspect that I really uh, appreciate. Uh, you wouldn't believe how many... Like top superbike riders and MotoGP riders that are used to riding it uh, 200, 250 kilometers an hour. And you put them on a trials bike where they have to go 15, 20 and they're terrible. Because uh, strange as it sounds, whenever you're riding uh, fast, things kind of happen slower because we're in a big wide open track. And you, you're just flat out in a straight line, you move your body across to the side, close the gas, brake, it's all in slow motion. You go on a trials bike at 15 kilometers an hour and you're going from one rock to another and you have to shut the gas, grab the brakes immediately, grab the clutch. You put a super bike rider on a trials bike and they try and do that. They do everything together and they end up going over the handlebars. So I think that's why it's intrigued me because I realized, oh, there's something about this sport that teaches you the basics and then surely that can transfer across to, to our sport as well. Did you Do you enjoy the other kinds of off-road riding as well? I grew up riding motocross, so I think that's something that I love that's always got to remain with me. I enjoy riding supermoto as well. In recent years, I've tried a little bit of flat track, uh, like at uh, Valentino Rossi's ranch. That place is, is paradise. Um, what he uh, set up there is, is something else. The academy riders that he has, the VR46 academy guys that get the train there every week, I don't think they, they realise just truly how lucky they are because... That's probably the most fun form of motorsport um, that I've ever come across riding flat track. And just going back to our naturally gifted question earlier, would he not fall into that category or are you going to tell me that he's an incredibly hard worker and has been ever since he was eight years old? I've heard from some of his teammates that he is a, a hard worker on the race weekend, you know, he, and he does that a lot with the engineer going through all this sort of um, that and the evidence to try and squeeze out every little percent. Um if I think about MotoGP riders now in the grid, um, and you really have to look at what what you can truly say is naturally talented, maybe it's a guy like uh, Jorge Lorenzo, because he he just uh, you know whenever he's on song he's absolutely on song, but whenever he's uh, off the ball then he's terrible. And to me that's maybe that's uh, what a natural rider is because if you have a rider that's really worked on um, honing your craft, you don't have off days because you understand 100% what you're doing on that bike so you should never have a day where you're finishing the podium winning races and then the next day 18th place and um, yeah when you look at a guy like Mark Marquez he's a guy that's I don't think we've ever seen his, his like before because he is somebody you could say has a natural talent he's also a smart guy he's got balls of steel he's just the most complete package so just going back to the uh, roads and bearing in mind where you come from, were you never tempted to go down that road? No, road racing wasn't something that interested me, honestly. I grew up watching it, and I still do enjoy watching it, but it's a different mindset. The guys that do road racing, they have no fear, and um, 
even some of the guys that I would have raced in British Championship with that went on to do road race and I can kind of look back and think oh yeah them guys had a different kind of outlook in life uh, to me so it's not something that, that I would ever do it's a um, different way of riding as well I think what gives me a buzz is being able to push it 100% and push the limits and and not be scared of crashing whereas if I think about going on the roads I would never be able to push to that level I would have to rein it back and to me that would mean riding at 80 to 90% and that wouldn't really give me a buzz No, but I found it really interesting talking to Peter Hickman for the podcast earlier this year and he's he's had a cracking year hasn't he I mean it's been interesting to see what he's done this year on the road so would you say that the you know the stock the stock bike is uh, pretty impressive compared to most stock bikes well, Peter Hickman this year has been incredible, even at the Isle of Man TT on the stock bike. The sort of lap time he was doing there shows that the, the BMW uh, as a standard bike, it's a super bike <laughs> that you can buy and, and go racing with. So Peter, watching him now, he's so smooth and he's a rarity and a guy that was on a good level on uh, on circuit racing. And then he went road racing and it's it almost appears that his road racing helped um, how he rides in the circuits because he goes to a track like Thruxton in the UK and he always wins there or at least um, you know on the podium because he's so silky smooth and carries uh, a lot of speed through the fast flow and quarters so he's probably the best all round rider nowadays there's not many guys that can be at the front on the circuits and on the road so uh, I think he's he's something else right now You hit the nail on the head there and that's exactly what he said he'd said that his um his road racing had helped him on the circuit. Probably for that, for, but for a lot of other people, it actually holds them back, doesn't it? They find it hard to make that transition. But for a customer buying uh, a double R, like you say, you know, it is a super bike. What advice would you give to them um, if they're buying these bikes? Because predominantly, you're going to be riding them on the roads. Get some training, I guess. Yeah, get some training. Get on a, on a track because that's where you're going to learn it. Because people, I think, uh, naturally want to improve and. The smartest thing is to go on to a track because you don't understand where the limit is until you try and push them. So first get on a track, uh, get schooled, and um, yeah, you're going to improve that way. So the guys are always obsessed with, with horsepower, with speed, and often neglect suspension. If you're on the open road, uh, suspension could make your ride a lot easier and safer. Oh, that's brilliant. It's been really interesting talking to you, Eugene. Thanks ever so much for co- coming on the podcast. Good luck with your, your podcast. Uh, what's it called again, and where can people find it? So my podcast is called uh, Pre-Pro. I've done more than a dozen episodes now and start out on SoundCloud, but you can get it on Apple Podcasts as well. So um, yeah, have a listen and let me know what you think. Yeah, well, I've, I've certainly listened to the opening uh, four or five episodes. It's very entertaining and very I can learn a lot from it as well. So good luck with continuing with that and good luck with uh, the season that's uh, lying ahead. Thank you. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks, Eugene. Some great insights there into top-level bike racing and the mindsets of the talented guys who make their living entertaining all of us superbike fans. I'm now interested to get Tom Sykes on the podcast, so let's see what we can do there. By the way, who else do you want to hear on Ride and Talk? Why not get in touch and tell us who or what you'd like to listen to on a future show? It could even be you if you've got an interesting story to tell. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>